everybody. Super excited to be with you. And I love, I love the work that is being done by sheer love uh, in the people's lives who are being changed, the people who are being set free from bondage, from sex trafficking. And we have now have a track record of making a very real difference. And uh, Pam and I were a part of watching Diana uh, um, gravitate and move towards and then embrace God's will for her life and lead her to a place that's the great adventure. And what I want to tell you is, is this whole idea talking about behind the scenes is about that, that God is working behind the scenes. And what I want to do is I want to teach you in a very in-depth way how you can know a great theology of God's will of how God moves, how God works, how God is active on your behalf. I want you to know that. And so uh, two weeks ago, we began this series and we talked about Joseph and we used him as a case study. Uh, Joseph was somebody that uh, God had made an incredible promise to. And then uh, God took him on a journey to fulfillment of that promise. And, and I, there was a long period of time. Joseph wondered, is God there? Is God working? but he didn't give up faith. The question might have been there, but he didn't give up faith. So he realized everything God had for him and the journey God took him on made him a great man and an incredible leader. So at, at a time of need, he could seize his destiny and he could, be, he could save people. He could influence the world of his day. And God did it all in a way that blew Joseph's mind. And we look at that. I want you to know that's for you too. Then last week we saw God does have a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. A plan that would give you a future and a hope. Right now I want to ask you, do you have hope? Some of you right now might need hope. Are you questioning and wondering about your future? What does next week hold? What does next month hold? What does next year hold? And you know what, God God wants you to know, I'm actively working behind the scenes to give you that future and hope that I planned for you long ago. And if you didn't catch that, watch last week's message. Then now we come to this point. There are ways that God works that might surprise you. There are things that God does, and he still does these things in your life right now. That might, you might go, really, that's how it works. But after this time's up, I think you're going to begin to see I think you're going to begin to know uh, some things about God that will help you see him uh, and, and get a glimpse of him working in your life right now. So let's pray and ask God to move and open our eyes to this. Father, I pray right now for the man who's out there that might need hope. For the woman who's out there that might wonder if there's a future for her. For that person who's single. And uh, this already has become a more difficult time in their life. For that couple whose marriage needs to get stronger. Uh, for that person who has a choice to make that would be life-changing. I pray that they're going to understand what we're talking about tonight is for them. And may they know you love them, you care for them. And may they, they get ready for all that you have for them. By committing themselves to you completely. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you heard about the woman who was walking on the beach and she saw a, a, a lamp, a, a Middle Eastern lamp that looked like a, a lamp a genie would come out of. And she thought, is there really such a thing? She picked it up, rubbed it, bam, a genie pops out. She thought, no way. And she goes, I get three wishes. And the genie says, yeah, but remember, there's always a catch with the genie. 
So you could have three wishes, no more than three, but whatever you wish for, your ex-husband gets double. And she's like, what? He goes, whatever you wish for, your ex-husband gets double. And she's like, oh. And then she said, I'll forget that. <laughs> she goes, um, I want $10 million tax-free. Bam. She's sitting in a bank. And the person across the desk hands her a savings passbook. And she opens it up. And the balance says $10 million. And she's like, oh, oh, I, I'm a multimillionaire. And then she hears this loud scream. And, and she looks across the bank, sitting at the bank president's desk. And, and her husband's sitting there going, $20 million, $20 million. How did I ever get $20 million? I can do whatever I want. And she's looking and she's like, no. She thought, okay, forget him. And she walks outside the bank and the genie said, what's your second wish? She said, I've always, she goes, listen, listen. I've always wanted a house on an ocean cliff that can't slide off, that can't slide off, with windows looking out over the ocean. And I want it to be 8,000 square feet. And I want it to be outfitted. And I want the kitchen to be amazing. And, and the genie says, done. And bam, she's standing in the most beautiful house she's ever seen. The living room's incredible. The fireplace is like breathtaking. And she looks at glass. And out the, outside of the glass is the beautiful ocean. And, and she walks outside. And, and the ocean air hits her. And it's it's better than she could have hoped for. But then she hears the sound of a, a scream of joy and she looks across the way right in her view. Always going to be in her view is her ex-husband. And he's running around on the balcony going, I can't believe this. 16,000 square feet. This place, I, I didn't even know something like this could exist. And he's just jumping and jumping with joy. And she goes and sits down and she's almost depressed. And the genie said, I told you. And she said, I know you did. I know you did. And the genie says, well, you've got a third wish. He goes, use it well. And she goes, okay. I want to be pregnant with twins. <laughs> Come on. you got to be laughing at that one. That is funny. Get it pregnant with twins. He's pregnant with uh, quadruplets. Uh, or yeah. yeah, and it's a guy pregnant. I mean, that is funny. That is funny. Well, what I want to tell you is God is going to take you on a journey. God's going to be active in your life. And there's not that there's a catch, but it might be surprising. If you we were with us last week, you saw God only works good, great things on your behalf. But that doesn't mean easy. That doesn't mean without challenge. That doesn't mean that you might not have to, to face something. But what you want to do is always check in with God. Uh, if you were in our Isaiah study this week, you saw that God tells you to always consult with him. So you always want to check in with God. You always want to be in line with God. You always want to walk with God through your life. And let him lead you. Let him guide you. And, and in those tough times, let him strengthen you. Uh, George Barna is a person who surveys people and does research. And his organization did a research study and found this. Only 10%, only 10% of people who say they're Christians really seek God and his will in making a major life decision. Only 10%. 90% are missing out on God's guidance leading, leading a promise. And I don't want that to be you. 
I don't want that to be you. And, and I want you to understand, like I said, Isaiah tells you, Isaiah tells me, don't be that way. So in Isaiah 30, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Woe to the rebellious children. Now, now, how do we know they're rebellious? Get ready for that. It might surprise you again, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt, and here's the key words, look at them, look at them, without consulting me, without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. He, and, and by the way, later on, God would call for some people to go to Egypt. This is not one of those moments. God would call for Jesus to go to Egypt. This is not that time. God said, the problem here is this. You didn't ask me. You didn't consult with me. You didn't seek my advice. And he says, whenever that happens, you have become a rebellious child. And, and so in their case, if this ends up happening, they're going to live a life of brokenness and pain and stress. And I want to tell you, even though we're going to talk about challenges that can occur in life, if your life is stressed out, if your life is like a heavy weight taking you down, that's not God. That's not God. And God said, I don't want that to be you. I want you, I want you right now to, to consult me and be with me. Um, right now, there's probably some of you out there thinking, but you know what? I, my life's fine. I'm okay. I, I've been okay with this all along. I don't really pray a lot to ask God for direction. I don't wait to get it. And you may actually be under a curse you don't even understand. By the way, I use that word on purpose, curse. Because we're going to look at a group of people called the Moabites. And we're going to look at the curse of the Moabites. Uh, some years ago when I was a young pastor, I, I got to hear from Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, who uh, now is in heaven. One of my favorite teachers, though. This man would teach the Bible with such depth. And uh, he taught what I'm about to tell you. It's in uh, Jeremiah 48:11, And I sat there and I was like, oh my and, and it opened my eyes to God in a way that has changed me now and forever. It has shaped my life's journey through all these years. It has helped me in this time of the COVID crisis. All of that happened in a study, in a message Pastor Chuck preached that, that grabbed my, my heart and, and, and captivated my imagination and, and opened my eyes to God. But it has to do with not being under the curse of the Moabites. Uh, Jeremiah 48, verse 10 actually says, Cursed be the one who does the work, Lord's work negligently. Cursed be the one who does the Lord's work negligently. And cursed be the one who restrains the sword from blood. Now, what did he mean by that? When he called for him to go and fight the battle, you better go fight the battle. And you better do it with all your might. And he said, you and I are under a curse. Uh, God's going to curse us. By the way, God does curse. God's going to curse us if we don't give everything we have to committing ourselves to him and his cause and his plan for our lives. Then he goes on to talk about Moab, who is under the curse. It says, Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has also been undisturbed like wine on its dregs. And he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. Therefore, he retains his flavor and his aroma has not changed. 
Now, now you might not understand this right away, so let's talk about what he's saying. He said, Moab, Moab is under a curse. And you know they're under a curse because they've never been unsettled. They've never been shaken up. See, wine, if it just sits on its sits there, sits there, sits there, and never gets stirred, never gets shaken, never gets poured from vessel to vessel, then what happens is it settles on its dregs, which means it starts to turn bitter. It starts to become poisoned, uh, uh, at least poisoned in taste. It starts to become gross. It can even take on a horrible stench and stink. And God said, you know, I, I did that to the Moabites. I cursed them. Why? Because they wouldn't go do what I asked them to do. So what did I do? I didn't make their lives horrible. I didn't make their lives negative. I didn't put them under stress and strain. I left them to sit fat and happy. I left them to sit just fat and happy. See, sometimes people are out there going, yeah, my life's great. You don't even have a clue. God is just saying, go ahead. I'm not going to let you be challenged. I'm not going to let you be shaped. I'm just going to let you go on your own. And then when the judgment day comes, you're going to pay the price. Uh, By the way, let me ask you a question. How many Moabites do you know? Now, now, if you know a Moabite, put it in the chat. (laughs) No one's going to. I bet none of you have done a a DNA genealogy study and said, I am one-third Moabite. Do you know why? Because they sat in their kingdom thinking that they had it made. And they got soft and they got weak and they got destroyed. You can't find a Moabite today because God left them to a place where they could sit there soft and weak. Uh, Not spiritually strong. Not doing things with fervor. Not having a passion. Not even having compassion. See, God calls for us to have passion. What I'm about to read you is a verse out of Zephaniah, and it has to do with the last days. And it says, And it shall come to pass at that time in the last days that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish. Now, let's, before I go on, punish. God said, I'm going to go and hunt down people and find them and punish them. Who? Who would that be? Punish those who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. God says, you know what? When you're complacent, when you're, you're, you're lazy, when you're not fervent for a greater cause, God says, I'm going to step back and one day you'll pay the price. But I'll let you sit in your ease. I'll let you relax and be comfortable. But that's not a sign that I'm working in your life. Right the way, some of you right now, things are hard. Uh, it could be that God actually is working on your behalf. It could be you're messing up. I'm not going to say you're not. But it could be if you're seeking God, loving God, you're going, why, why now? Why this challenge now? God might be going, yes, this is what I wanted for you. This is what I planned for you. See, Moab was at ease from his youth. And it's interesting. It's so interesting how almost all of us tend to choose the easy way. We love the easy way out. We love the easy way. Uh, let's say you're in a graduate school and, and you, somebody's taking the same class you are. And you go up to them and say, hey, tell me about the test. How was it? And if they go, oh, it was easy. You go, yeah. Wow, good. But if they go, it's hard, you're like, no, no. Why? We want the easy way. Um, yet, which is really better? 
is that really better? Uh, for me in graduate school, the best classes I had were the hardest classes. The ones that I, I had to work hard and study hard and learn more. And the professor cared about us enough to stretch us so that we were better than we ever thought we could be. That never was easy, but it was always better. Uh, the best games uh, are the ones that are tough games. The best fights are the ones that are tough fights. Uh, the heroic moment is only found when the hero is facing the greatest challenge and the odds are against him. You see, there's a danger in easiness. There's a danger in easiness. Uh, you know why? The easy life ends up being boring. Uh, in the first game of the NBA Finals, uh, the LA Lakers, go Lakers, go Lakers. Uh, the LA Lakers against the Miami Heat, they blew them out. Then two of the Heat players got injured. So everybody thought every game's going to be a blowout. By the way, if you're a Laker fan, at least they're going to win. But it's not fun to watch. But then game two, the Lakers won. But it was not as easy as everybody thought. Game three, the Heat came out undermanned undermanned, without the big superstars, they have won. Uh, but you know what? They beat the Lakers. And I was like, no, even though, that, but I was on the edge of my seat the whole game. Then this last game, it was like tight, tight, tight. Pam looked at me and said, I thought you said the Lakers were better than them. And I, and I said, they are. <laughs> but man, what a game. What a game. See, I want to say this in game three, Miami turned up the heat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably the only one who thinks that's funny. Miami Heat turned up the heat. But anyway, but here's the thing. Pam and I wouldn't stop watching that game. The next one I can't wait for. Why? It is a battle ready to happen. It is a contest that's going to be undertaken. It's going to be a competition. And you know what? When you don't have the challenge, you don't have the battle, you don't have the competition, when everything's easy, you might go, God, do you love me? God, do you care about me? Because you might be under the curse of Moab. The curse of Moab is the easy life. And uh, one of my favorite, favorite books is called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It's written by Mark Batterson. It, it's been out a while. But I, I would, this is when you read again. This is one, if you haven't read, go to Amazon and get it. In a pit with a lion on a slow, snowy day. Listen to what's said about the book's message. It says, you'll look back long, longingly on the risk not taken. You'll look back longingly on the risk you didn't take, the opportunities you didn't seize, the dreams you didn't pursue. And you'll stop running away from what scares you most and start chasing the God-ordained opportunities that cross your path. It says, if you read this book and take it to heart, that's how you'll begin to live. That's what God wants you to do. And it goes on to say, in a pit with the lion, a snowy day is inspired by one of the most obscure yet courageous acts recorded in Scripture. It says a blessed, audacious act that left no regrets. And what is that act? It's found in 2 Samuel 23, 20, where Benaniah, uh, Benaniah ends up in a pit. Now, by the way, being in a pit is not a good thing. The pits are not a good place to be. But Benaniah ends up in a pit, but it's worse. It's, it's with a lion on a snowy day. Uh, the, you know what? That that's, gets worse and worse. Uh, being in the pit's not good. Being with the lion's worse on a snowy day. 
And yet that became the life-changing, heroic moment for Benaniah. He kills the lion, and word gets out that he did it. And, and he ends up becoming known as a heroic warrior and rises up to be the head of King David, the famous King David's secret service. His guard of guards is mighty men. Mighty men. Mighty men aren't made in a life of ease. And, and in this book, uh, Mark Patterson brings that out too. And so what he says is this. Listen to from in the pit with a lion on a snowy day. He said, if the truth be told, the alternate to fear is boredom. I want to read that one again. If the truth be told, the alternative, because I read that wrong, so get ready. The alternative to fear is boredom. Boredom. And he goes, and boredom isn't just boring. Boredom is inexcusable. Soren Kierkegaard went so far as to say that boredom is the root of all evil because it means we're refusing to be who God made us to be. If you're bored, one thing for sure, you're not following in the footsteps of Christ. If you're bored, one thing is for sure, you're not following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Listen to that. If you're bored, if you're bored, you're not walking with Jesus. You're not experiencing Jesus. And you may be under the curse of Moab. And behind the scenes, nothing's happening good. God just walked away. And you don't have his support. You don't have his power. You don't have his molding and, and, and moving. See, lack of exercise makes people flabby and tired. Lack of work leads to laziness and depression. In the Garden of Eden, God gave jobs a job to Adam. Why? He needed a mission. In uh, 1 Kings 19, the famous prophet Elijah is depressed. One of the things God does to draw him out of his depression so that he could go live a vibrant life was he gave him a mission to accomplish. He gave him a mission to accomplish. You and I need that. You and I are made for that. You know what, uh, uh, if you didn't know it, if you take a little tree and you plant this tree and you shelter it so the wind never blows on it, you're actually making the tree weak. But if it gets a breeze that moves it, its roots go deeper in it, and the trunk gets stronger. And then more wind that tests it drives the roots deeper and the trunk becomes stronger. And, and that is so, so true in life. Have you ever been around a child whose parents were overprotective? <laughs> that is not a child to be around. That is not how to get joy in your life. Uh, all you teachers out there, uh, you know what? If you have to teach children whose parents are overprotective, let me ask you a question. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? And, and you know, if the parents are the kind to say, don't you dare ever say anything mean to my little Johnny. Don't you, don't you ever correct him. Uh, don't you ever uh, do that or you'll have to face me. And then what happens to little Johnny? Little Johnny grows up to be weak. Little Johnny doesn't know how to handle conflict. He doesn't know how to stand in the tough moment. He doesn't know how to stand up for himself or more than that, stand up for others. And uh, we know from studies that overprotective parents tend to have children who are depressed, filled with anxiety, and are very insecure. They're not more secure because their parents did that. They're less secure. By the way, I wasn't raised that way. <laughs> uh, uh, if I got in trouble at school, I got in more trouble at home. 
My dad never said, I'll go talk to that teacher and put them in their place. My dad is going, you're getting in your place. And then you're going to go apologize to that teacher. And it made me tougher. It made me stronger. It made me face up to things. So you know what? So many children today are overprotected. There is a rise in depression and anxiety amongst the next generation. There are many factors that create that. But one is their inability to cope with life's problems. And almost always that goes back to a parent. Not always, but almost always it goes back to a parent who was overprotective and raised a child who was irresponsible, was a whiner, wasn't capable of facing the challenges of reality. And uh, again, very often would choose to try to numb themselves with drugs or alcohol to escape. Or maybe even turn to self-harm just to feel something. So what we understand then is there's no character without challenge. Uh, There's no strength without some pressure. And God, God is a good, good father. God's a good, good father. And, and he's not going to do that with you or to you. So what he does is he, he lets you know that he uses trials and tribulations to make you stronger, to strengthen you. Uh, by the way, that means when you get into a tough time, it may be God going, good, let's get through this together. Get stronger, get character, get better. James says when that happens, what should you do? Rejoice. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. In other words, here's the good news. God's got a bunch of trials coming your way. Uh, I, I, some of you right now are in those. Some of you go, man, I got two or three at the same time. And God goes, I know you can handle it. And I'm with you and I'll make you better. Because I'm not cursing you like Moab and letting you just sit in the easy chair. And it says, Count on all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Remember back to our first study about Joseph. Joseph was raised by a father who was overprotective and favored him. Uh, As a matter of fact, he favored him over all his brothers and sisters. He gave him gifts nobody else got. He made his life easier than his brothers and sisters would be. By the way, whenever you play a favorite like that, it creates jealousy, bitterness, anger, divisiveness in the family. And so that happened. And and remember the story. He gets sold into slavery. He gets imprisoned in a prison. He, uh, he, He has a hard, hard life. Psalm 105 verse 16 says this, And God called for a famine in the land. And he broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. In other words, God was behind the scenes working to get Joseph to where he needed him to be. Using even the brothers. Using even the brothers means spirit in nature. Verse 18 says, they afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Then the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord over his house and ruler over his possessions to imprison princes as his will. That, that, listen to this last part, that he might teach his elders wisdom. Where did 
A young man named Joseph gets so much wisdom he could teach the elders. The answer is this, in the school of hard knocks. The wisdom all came not when an overprotective parent was raising him, but when he was facing life and having to experience the school of hard knocks as a God who loved him, did not leave him under the curse of Moab, but was working behind the scenes to make his life incredible. Back to the book in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Mark Batterson says, Whenever I counsel someone who is wrestling with discerning the will of God, I remind them of this simple truth. God wants to get you where God wants you to go more than you want to get where God wants you to go. (laughs) Then he says, read that again. So I'm going to read it again. God wants to get you where God wants you to go more than, more than you want to get where God wants you to go. And then he goes on to say this. It ought to relieve uh, your tension headaches. If you keep in step with the Spirit, God is going to make sure you get where he wants you to go. He always, listen, he always is working behind the scenes. Batterson said that, and he's right. God is always working behind the scenes, engineering our circumstances, setting us up for success. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right at the outset, let me share one of my core convictions. God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time. A sense of destiny is our birthright as followers of Christ. God, God is so good at getting us where he wants us to go. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. The right place often seems like the wrong place. And the right time often seems like the wrong time. Uh, When the COVID crisis started, I thought of all times, this has to be the worst time it could have ever happened. And man, crossroads got unsettled. I mean, we were shaken up and things we thought important couldn't even happen anymore. And, and things we had planned were not going to be able to take place. And, and how we used to operate wasn't going to happen. And I don't think ever will again. And I, I told our leaders, I said, I believe God's taken us out into the deep water. The waves are bigger. The challenges are greater but the opportunity is better and the reward is astronomically in favor of us. Now I have people still, and maybe it's you, but I want to caution you that want to go back to the shallow water where it's easy, where it's comfortable. But God says, no, I want you in the adventure. And crossroads now, we're in that place. And uh, I want to say, while there are times I'm still staying there going, God, what are you doing? I know God's doing something. And I know he's working behind the scenes for me. He's working behind the scenes for my family. He's working behind the scenes for us, for you. And, and if you love him, that happens. Um, I've done a lot of premarital counseling over the years, and, and I've learned something. Uh, whenever I have a couple who literally is starting out with everything, uh, they already own their house, they already own their cars, everything's easy, everything's nice, they're not going to have any major challenge, that couple honestly tends to have a harder time than the couple that has to come together to overcome the circumstances. Now, you should be prepared to get married. That's not my point. You shouldn't get married if you're not financially ready. And I, I have a lot of things I'd tell you on that. But let me get to this. If you've got to face some challenges, if you don't get the best house right away, if you have to have a, a used car, 
If you have to share a car together and have a difficult time navigating your work schedule, um, that, that can be a better life. That really has a higher likelihood of producing a strong marriage and happiness. Uh, it's just how it is. Because you're going to have a firmer foundation. And uh, that, that's going to get you through. Pam and I have a great marriage, and, and I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you it is. That's that way. And it's God. It is God. But it was also some very difficult times in the beginning where we had to choose unconditional love and complete commitment. And that built a security in our relationship. Because if we can make it through that, we can make it through anything. And uh, we God... God tested us, God taught us, God strengthened us. It was through trials. And through those trials, I learned my own weaknesses, and uh, it drove me to the Lord. In a time of trial, you face your own weaknesses, and it drives you to the Lord. Paul said there's an interesting paradox, and here's what it is, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. When I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, when I need God, I'm at my strongest. When I know without God I can't make it, I'm at my best. When I'm weak, I am strong. When I'm weak, I am strong. And you know what? Maybe right now, some of you should say that right this second. You know, it's hard. I'm exhausted. I'm not sure what to do. I've got this nagging sense that something even worse is coming. And and you just say these words, God, when I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm weak, I'm strong, because I have you. When I'm weak, I am strong. And, and if you're in a moment like that, you know what? It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It means God wants to be with you. When I'm weak, I am strong. When I'm weak, I'm strong. And I have learned the wonder and the secret of casting myself onto him and allowing him to care for me. I've learned that God comes through when I cry out for strength. I learned that I, I, there's times I can't handle what's happening, but God always can when I'm weak, I'm strong. Uh, you know where I get in real trouble? It's the areas I think I can handle it when I get in real trouble. <laughs> That's where the real trouble is. Where I, I feel like almost like, Lord, don't bother. I've got this one. I don't need you right now. And uh, that, that doesn't go good for me. Um, but maybe because I know too, I'm not under the curse of Moab. I know God. God will shake me up. God will rattle my cage. God will uh, will take and disorient me. Um, Moab is in trouble and curse because she's had it easy. You and I who haven't had it easy. Man, that may mean God's more for you than you know. And you ought to be watching for what he's about to do, what he's getting you ready to experience, how he's getting you to be an overcomer. You see, Moab, that says settled on her dregs. Again, uh, the bitterness starts to take over. Uh, What could have been a great wine is now going to be putrid and bad. And if she just got poured vessel to vessel to vessel to vessel and aerated, and oxygenized, she would have been amazing. And today she doesn't exist. Today she's extinct. Not because of the challenge. Not because of the enemy. There wasn't a challenge and there wasn't an enemy. See, spiritually, 
The Lord seeks to purify us from the life of the flesh. Uh, That is a big deal. Spiritually, God seeks to purify you and I from the life of the flesh. And God doesn't want us to settle in, to be comfortable in this world. So he needs us to move on. And, and be very often in an unsettled state where we're just having to reach out and hold on to him. That's the best place we could be. That's what God wants us to have. I, I don't know if you ever remember there was an old TV show called The Twilight Zone. And one of my favorite, actually my favorite um, um, part of The Twilight Zone, this man dies and, and he wakes up, he, he knows he died, and he wakes up and there's a man standing there, his host. And he says, welcome, welcome, welcome to eternity. And the guy's looking around and where he's standing is beautiful. And he's thinking, I made it. And, and the host brings him into this incredible place and says, whatever you wish for, you'll have. Whatever you want will, will come true. Have an incredible time. And the host leaves. And uh, whatever food he wants, he gets. Whatever wine he wants, he gets. Whatever cigar he wants, he has. And, and he gets everything. And towards the end of the show, the host comes in and he's sitting there depressed. And he said, what's wrong? And the guy looked up and said, I never knew that heaven would be so boring. And the host laughs, a maniacal laugh, and says, why do you think this is heaven? It was hell. It was hell. Heaven is a place that God's preparing you for. And you won't get there living the boring life. So you know what might happen right now to some of you? Life right now may be going great. I I mean, really, uh, you think I got a new car. I never thought I'd get a car like this. I've got a great job and just got a promotion. Uh, The kids are back at school. And and man, we finally have our freedom again. And then you say to your wife, hey, let's take a vacation. Where'd you want to go? Let's plan it out. Uh, And then let's plan another one after that. But while you're on vacation, you come home. And uh, the whole time you were out there, God kept going, this stinks. This stinks. You think it's the greatest life ever. And God goes, nah, this stinks. It's time for a change. And you come home and uh, you find out that your company now is going to have to downsize. You find out now that your job is going to be eliminated. And you go, oh, God, what am I going to do? And God goes, oh, it's so good to hear from you. Wow. It's, It's been a while. And you're like, God, please. And God goes, yeah, yeah. See, the old life was horrible because you forgot God. You forgot to read your Bible, to pray, or you prayed empty prayers. But man, when that time came, oh, did you start saying, God, I need you, God, I need you, God, I need you. And God goes, good. I want you that way. And by the way, he won't condemn you. He's not going to run from you. He's going to go, okay. This is now a sign you're not under the curse of Moab. Uh, I need you not to be settled on your dregs. I need you to have passion. I need this for you. I don't want you sour. I don't want you weak. I want you strong. And I want your life to be amazing. Notice again, Jeremiah 48, 11. Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has been undisturbed like wine on his dregs, and he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, shaken up. Nor has he gone into exile. Therefore, he retains his flavor and his aroma has not changed. Out of love, 
God unsettles you and God unsettles me. By the way, it's really like a good physical therapist. If you've ever had an injury and a physical therapist works on you, very often they do take you to the point of pain where healing can happen and strength can occur. And God does that for you. Back to that book I love, uh, On a Pit with a Lion in a Snowy Day. It says this, this may sound somewhat sadistic, but follow the logic. It's our past problems that prepare us for the future opportunities. So someday we may be grateful for the bad things as well as for the good things because the bad things help prepare us for the good things. At face value, landing in a pit with a lion on a snowy day is a massive problem. In fact, for most of us, it'd be your last problem you'd ever have. But sometimes the biggest problems present the greatest opportunities. For God to, be, uh, God to reveal his glory and work and purpose, no one likes being in the pits or put out to pasture. But maybe God is developing character and honing skills that will serve you later in life. Through this, you become stronger. Through this, you become better. Romans chapter 5 says this in verse 3. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. So God... God loves to unsettle us. God loves to disorient us. Why, why would God do that? Well, let's think about it again. God has to unsettle us because we settle so quickly. <laughs> and so he's got to unsettle us again. Entry peace sets in. Uh, you start dating somebody, but it's just okay. Uh, your marriage goes to just being roommates instead of passionate, passionate people in love with one another. That job is just one you go to and then come home. The new car isn't so new, and you're in a rut. And God goes, you know what I need to do? I need to unsettle you. And he may unsettle you because he wants to move you to something better. Sometimes God says, I love how you're excited about where you are, but I got to get you here. So I'm going to unsettle you to get you here. And he has to move you. Uh, maybe the place you live isn't where God wants you to live. And you, all of a sudden you get noticed. Your landlord says, you know what? I'm upping the rent beyond what you can afford. Uh, you find out that, you know, you have to move out of the area you're in because of a job. Uh, and God goes, yeah, I'm about to move and do something incredible for you. Get ready for about what's to come. And um, you would have never made the move if God didn't unsettle you. But God loves to do that. And during that time, he has your attention. Too often, though, you and I, we get really stubborn. And we're like, no. I won't be happy if I can't live here. I won't be happy if I don't have this or have that. And God goes, let go. Trust me. Let's go on the adventure together. When uh, my, my sons were littler, Tim and Rich, I decided to surprise them and take them to Disneyland. For all you who are right now mourning, yeah, uh, Disneyland's still not going to open. But, but back then, of course, it was. And so I thought I wanted to surprise them and take them. So they're in there playing video games, having fun on a Saturday. And I walked in. I go, guys, come on, get in the car. We're going to head out and have some fun. And they're like, no, we want to play video games. Um, I'm like, guys, get in the car. We're going to go have some fun. And they're like, no. And then they're like, no, we don't want to. And we've been waiting. And I go, guys, I am not kidding. Five minutes, you better be ready. 
I come walking in and they're looking at me. I go out in the car. They go out there. They're so mad. They're so upset. Pam and I get in the car. We're driving and they're just like mad. Like, and I go, we're going to have fun. No, we're not. We're going to have a blast. No, we're not. And I pull in the parking lot at Disneyland. They're like, oh. How many of you does God have to drag you kicking and screaming? Kicking and screaming. I uh, read the story of a farmer who had a mule. And the mule wouldn't work with him. It wouldn't work for him. And so finally he asked his friend, uh, you want to buy it off me? And the guy goes, yeah, that's a big, strong mule. And so he buys it. Two months later, he's driving by his friend's place and he sees the mule out there doing incredible. I mean, it's pulling right how it should, uh, leading the way it's supposed to, showing energy, showing vigor. And he stopped the car and goes, hey, 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 is that the mule I sold you? And he's like, yeah, it's the mule you sold me. And he goes, what did you do? He said it was easy. I just took a two by four and when it didn't want to do what I wanted it to do, I hit it in the head and now it does everything I want to do. <laughs> do some of you need to be hit between the eyes with a two by four? Uh, Psalm 32 verse eight says, I will instruct you, God says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And what he's saying, I'll guide you with my eye and lead you. It goes, but do not be as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near. God's looking at me going, Chuck, don't be like a mule. He's looking at you going, don't be. Don't be like a donkey. Uh, I don't want you to do that. I don't want to have to use a bit and a bridle. I want you to listen to me. Look at me. Let me guide you. That's what God wants to do. That's God's great desire. Again, from a pit with a lion on a snowy day, it says, we pray for no pain when the result would be no gain. We pray that God will keep us out of the pits, away from the lions. But if God answered our prayers, it would rob us of our greatest opportunities. Many of our prayers would short-circuit God's plans and purpose for our life if he answered them. Maybe we should stop asking God to get us out of difficult circumstances and start asking him what he wants to have us get out of those circumstances. Instead of saying, get me out of this, God, Say, God, what should I get out of this? That is so true. That is so true. We need to know and thank the Lord that he's always working in our life. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. By the way, you can't have a triumph if you didn't have a challenge. But he always leads us in triumph and manifests to us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place, not the stink of being settled on our dregs. So that sweet life, that incredible life, that amazing life, the life of triumph comes when God brings us to the place of challenge and unsettles us and disorients us. And and right now, so many of us are in that place. But say, God, what should I be getting out of this? Not get me out of this. God, you're working. And I just want to be with you in it. I love the story of the little boy who worked and worked and worked to build a sailboat. And uh, he got outside and thought it was going to be the best day for sailing ever. And he took his boat and he pushed it and a huge wind came up and capsized the boat. And his mom looked at him waiting for him to get upset and cry. And he spun around and goes, what an incredible day to fly a kite. And he took off to get his kite. Maybe it's time that when something gets upturned, 
something gets capsized, something goes under, that uh, what you ought to say is, Lord, Lord, it's a great day to fly a kite. It's a great, great day to experience this because God wants you to. God wants you to. But you've got to look to him. You've got to listen to him. You've got to let him give you strength when you're weak. And he will. He will. So right now, if life's hard, say, God, make me harder. Make me stronger. Make me better. Right now, if you're in a trial, consider it all joy. Because God's going to create endurance in you. Right now, if you've lost some things, and, I, and it's not always easy, open your hands and get ready for what God's going to give you in place. Get ready. Get ready. The God, God didn't call you to boredom. God didn't call you to sit comfortable. He called you to make a difference. He called you to face the challenge. He called for you to be great. And I'm not kidding. You, you, you are called to be great. And uh, right now in this moment, some of you, you need to call out to God. It may be the very first time you ever do that. Maybe right now you've never committed your life to Christ. Maybe you even came here on accident. (laughs) And if you did, that might have been God guiding you here. But God loves you. God cares about you and God wants a relationship with you. And he wants you to commit your life to him. Jesus Christ came and lived and walked this earth, died on a cross for your sins and my sins, but for your sins because he loves you, he cares about you, and he wants you to live an amazing life. But it begins when you commit your life to him. You have to let go of the old. You have to let go of the the bad and the sad. You've got to get ready for the new and get ready for a cleansing from sin and being made into a new creation and given a spiritual gift from God so you could go accomplish your, the destiny he has for you. And the Bible says we, we enter into this relationship by doing two things. One, we pray a prayer. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to leave that prayer and invite you to pray it with me where you could tell the Lord, I want to give my life to you. Some of you right now, you need that. So you could pray that prayer say, I want to give my life to you and I want your strength and I want to be strong even when I'm weak. And pray that prayer with me. You could pray it for the first time. You could pray it to recommit. Some of you right now, you're in a dating relationship that's just, it's not good. Pray it together and ask God to change that. Some of you right now are single. There's a lot of single people out there watching and we love you guys. But you're thinking you're going to get happiness through a person and And I hope you get that person one day, but I'd rather have you understand the real joy comes from the Lord. Now it's time to pray that prayer and to know how valuable you are and how much you matter. And for your marriages, we want them to be great. Pray the prayer together. There are some kids who have been praying for parents to to not have the marriage you have, and, and they want you to be happy. So pray the prayer together. Um, right now, for a person who lost their job, man, I know it's not easy. It's a scary time for that. But where you go is God. Go to God. Some of you are in the pits. But you know what? You could be heroic now. So let's pray that prayer together. Then after we pray the prayer, you got to do something about it. Uh, there's a lot of research out that shows that what the Bible says you're supposed to do really makes a difference. And what is that? Is when you make a commitment, you need to tell somebody. And when you make a commitment and tell somebody, it makes the commitment more real. 
So the Bible calls that confessing. Confessing, you're saying yes to Jesus. So what do we want you to do? We want you to text, take your phone or take your iPad and text uh, amen to 69922. Text amen to 69922. And by the way, you could do that right now. Just go ahead and get it out and do it. And then we'll pray the prayer. You could do it after we pray the prayer. But I want you to do that. Now, let me tell you what's going to happen. You really have to make yourself known. So when you text amen, then we're going to get back to you. We want to know your name because we care about you. We'll keep your information private. We want to know your name. Then, then we want to send you an electronic copy of the book, The Purpose Driven Life for Free for free so you can know some next steps to take to find and discover your purpose. It's one of the best-selling books uh, uh, of recent time, and, and we want to give that to you free. So right now, we're going to lead that prayer. Right now, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord, I pray right now for everybody who's out there that needs to call out to you and discover your will for their life. For the person who's feeling really weak, maybe even afraid. God, I pray they would know that you want to give them strength because when they're weak like this, they can be strong because you're there and they can feel it. So I pray this for them, that they're going to pray this prayer. I pray for a person, Lord, whose life has become chaotic, so uncertain, that, Lord, they pray this prayer to find you coming alongside them to guide them into your plan for their life where there is power and love and 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 amazing things coming. I pray right now for a person who lacks self-control and they know it. Matter of fact, they've been thinking about it. Their lack of self-control is hurting them, but they're never going to truly have that self-control until they have your control. And I pray they're going to pray this prayer. And there is someone who lost their job today. They knew it could happen. They saw it coming, but today was the day. And it hurts. They need you, and I'm glad they're watching, and I'm glad that, Lord, they know you care, and and we care. I pray they'll pray this prayer right now. Father, I pray for them. Right now, if that's you, I'm going to ask you, would you pray the prayer with me? Either whisper it or say it out loud. If you're with someone else, say it out loud. Pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'd forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'd heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'd free me from anything that's holding me back or holding me down. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. Say, I say yes. If that's all you could say, say it. Say, I say yes. I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen means the truth. It means for real. And right now, text that to us. Text that to us. Amen. If you're watching internationally or you don't have a way to text, email me at chuck at crossroadschurch.com and say, I said amen. And we'll get you a copy of that book. But, but right now, right now, text amen or email amen and praise God for your decision.